I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. Yes, hello. So this week we're talking all about one of Denise's favourite genres, horror. As the title of this episode indicates, Zombies Rule. Oh, no, 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 Louise, you need new specs. It's not Zombies Rule, it's Zombie Rules, although Zombies do rule. Have I ever told you the story of when Brad Pitt was here in Glasgow filming World War Z? (laughs) Is that filmed in Glasgow? Are you kidding? (laughs) By the way, the book is loads better than the film. Yep. I had that rammed into me by a couple of friends when we managed to escape for a few days camping after lockdown eased up during the summer. Oh, I agree. Definitely. The book's way better than the film. Those fast zombies freak me out a bit, though. I prefer mine slow and staggery. Don't you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want my zombies anyway at all, thank you. <laughs> anyway, go on. Tell me about Brad and Glasgow. Well, they were here for three days because George Square in Glasgow and the surrounding streets look like Philadelphia. Are you sure about that? (laughs) I'm very sure about that. It gets used a lot, yeah. (laughs) Okay, if you say so. Though I've been to both and hadn't noticed that, but go on. (laughs) Okay, yes, yes. You also got the title of the podcast wrong, so you probably weren't looking properly. (laughs) Anyway... They filmed that big dramatic action scene at the beginning where Brad drives like a maniac through crowded streets because the zombies are coming. You mean hundreds of Glaswegian extras? <laughs> well, well, yes, technically, yeah. But anyway, I missed meeting him by just a few minutes. Can no. you believe it? Because he was in the cafe where I buy a roll and square sausage just before I got there. That's it. Missed opportunity for me and Brad to have a lifetime of happiness together. The end. <laughs> that's a terrible story the square sausage I mean whatever the hell one of those is you haven't lived till you've had one (laughs) you were never ever gonna hook up with Pitt sorry darling I'm just telling it like it is I know I know we should move on with the speed of a world war z zombie this episode is all about zombie rules (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, zombie rules. So these are the grammar rules that never die. They just will will not stay down. Just keep on popping up, even when they should have been dead and buried a long time ago. Okay, maybe we should stop with the zombie analogy now, Louise. (laughs) Oh, but it's a good analogy, really, because some of these so-called rules haven't actually been rules for literally hundreds of years. But some people just love to keep them going. And the problem is that they reinforce the idea that there's only one way, one correct way of doing anything in English, when actually a huge proportion of what too many people believe about English grammar is outdated nonsense. Yep. They worry that they don't speak or write correctly, when actually most people speak and write perfectly well. But they can tie themselves in knots trying to hold to these so-called rules that they learned in school 20 years ago Mm. from teachers who were taught the same thing 30 years before that (laughs) and so it goes on so why don't we take a look at two festering zombie rules that are still aimlessly lumbering about making a nuisance of themselves and give them a decent burial all right stop that now (laughs) okay sorry louise (laughs) so let's start with split infinitives do you think we can discuss this without mentioning star trek Unlikely. It's the go-to example, isn't it? Space, the final frontier. Not that bit, Cal. (laughs) The to boldly go where no one has gone before bit that gets people's knickers in a knot. 
Oh, yes, that old chestnut. Yeah. To remind our lovely listeners, a split infinitive in English is when one or more words is put in the middle of the infinitive. In the Star Trek example, the infinitive is to go and the adverb boldly splits it. And there's really no problem with this construction. Historically, it was frowned upon based upon comparisons with Latin. But changing the word order to avoid splitting an infinitive can end up sounding really clumsy and awkward. And more importantly, it can alter the meaning. Yeah. So why don't you give us an example of where that can happen? Yeah. So if I say I'm going to really kiss Brad's face off, I've split the infinitive and my husband's going to be cross. But if I say I'm really going to kiss Brad's face off, I avoid the split infinitive, but it could be construed as I'm not kidding around. I'm actually going to do it. My husband will still be cross, but the point is the emphasis has changed subtly. (laughs) That's a great point. You just had to get Brad in there, didn't you? (laughs) You've still got your square sausage, woman. (laughs) Anyway, why don't you talk about Professor Pullum? Because that way you can name drop about someone you didn't miss. Ah, that's true, yeah. So I was at a talk given by uh, Jeff Pullum, the well-known and respected linguist. And he reckons that this split infinitive thing was all started by an anonymous writer in the 1830s, known only as P, for no good reason whatsoever. And he had this to say, don't ever unsplit a split infinitive if it makes sense. Great damage may be done to intelligibility as well as style. Great advice. And if the aim of good writing is to tell a compelling story or deliver a clear message, then contorting a sentence to avoid an arbitrary rule like this is not serving our readers well. The editing podcast says yes to split infinitives. (laughs) Yes, we've knocked that one on the head then. And that's how you kill a zombie. Didn't we say no more zombie references? Okay, Louise. Sorry, Louise. Again. (laughs) Right, you're forgiven (laughs) for the moment. Let's take a look at our second so-called rule then. Not starting a sentence with a conjunction. But I thought we'd do that one later. Very funny. I see what you did there. (laughs) So conjunctions are joining words such as and or but. And I think we all had it hammered into us at school that it was wrong to put them at the beginning of a sentence. So shall we have a quick chat about why that rule is a rubbish rule? Yeah, let's do that. So first of all, I'm going to quote Merriam-Webster. Here we go. Quote, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage begins its entry on and with this statement. Everybody agrees that it's all right to begin a sentence with and, and nearly everybody admits to having been taught at some past time that the practice was wrong. End quote. And then it goes on to say that this so-called rule might have arisen from a desire to discourage children from stringing together clause after clause with a conjunction into one huge long sentence. And yes, those of us with kids have seen this. I did that, and I did that, and I did that. But for goodness sake. It's absurd. A child can be encouraged to develop their writing skill without being indoctrinated by a zombie rule. If you teach children other interesting ways of writing sentences, they'll incorporate those into their writing in time, won't they? Yeah. Like with speech, it develops along with their language and that will slip into their writing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so damaging because it can really interrupt the flow when a writer feels they need to avoid a particular sentence construction because someone's told them it's wrong. Now, there'll be certain types of writing for certain publications where a style guide may not allow for it, perhaps because it's formal academic writing, but that's a style choice. Mm. And it's fine to write and edit for a particular house style because that's the deal when you sign up. 
Exactly. But that doesn't make it a rule that must be obeyed at all costs. So why don't we have a look at a few more examples of this and talk about when it can work? Because I think conjunctions at the beginning of sentences can be really powerful, especially in fiction. Too right. Yeah. And not just in dialogue, the narrative too. Now, Louise, I've listened to you banging on about fiction so often now <laughs> that I think that I, a non-fiction editor, might even be able to frame a justification for conjunctions at the start of sentences in terms of, wait for it, narrative distance. Darling, I'm impressed. <laughs> You're spot on. So a quick recap. Narrative distance describes how close the reader feels to the narrator. And when a novel's narrator uses language that feels natural, the reader is drawn closer. It's as if we're in the narrator's head. So here's a wee example from Ch Terry Pratchett's Dodger. The boy said, I don't quite know exactly where Mr. Charlie will be right now, but you could always ask the peelers. He smiled. You can be sure that there will be a lot of them about. Ask a peeler? Dodger? But surely that was the old Dodger saying that, he thought. So that sentence that begins with, but surely, it sounds exactly like a thought. It reads like a thought. And yeah, it definitely makes me feel like I'm in the narrator's head. And I'm going further and say there's another thing going on there that gives it a grammatical purpose beyond that of a conjunction. It's conveying surprise, unexpectedness. And so, yeah, you could remove the but, but it and it would retain the sense, but it would lose the magic. Yeah, and that's a really important point. Just because we give words names like conjunctions or prepositions doesn't mean that they don't perform a function in prose that extends beyond how they're defined in a paragraph of a style guide. Mm. And that's something we've both talked about before in relation to fiction and creative nonfiction. Exactly, the mood of the piece. So conjunctions like and or but can introduce surprise or unexpectedness, but also emphasis. They're, they're like a kind of syntactic filler that draws attention to them so that the reader is forced to focus on the fact that in the case of and, something is being added, or in the case of but, something's being contested. Something I see in my beloved horror fiction is sentence fragments too. And when they begin with a conjunction, they can be really powerful, especially if the fragment comes on a new line. Absolutely. Again, they're performing beyond their conjunction remit and supporting tension and immediacy, like um, that narrative distance we talked about. So here's a lovely example from Rob Robert Ludlum's The Matlock Paper that illustrates that point that you raised. So in the excerpt I'm reading here, the sentence of beginning with and comes on a new line. Carlisle was a very clean town, a neat town. The trees by the station house were pruned and shaped. And Carlisle was also something else. And I think with that one word, that conjunction, Ludlum introduces a question to the reader. Now we're thinking, OK, it's neat, it's clean, but ooh, there's a problem. With just that one word right at the beginning, we have suspense. Oh, definitely. It just makes you think completely. It, it just turns your expectations around, doesn't mm, it? Mm. Yeah. And so that's another nail in the coffin for a zombie rule. <laughs> Ban conjunctions from the beginning of sentences and we risk ripping the mood, the tension and the suspense from the writing. We might even say that by banning conjunctions at the beginning of a sentence, we risk zombifying the sentence by allowing it to live on the page, but with no soul. Oh, now listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> You're as bad as me. <laughs> right, that's it for this week. We'll revisit some more zombie rules another time. These are rather good fun, aren't they? Yeah, they are. We will. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. 
Yes, thank you so much for listening to the editing podcast. She's been Louise. And she's been Denise. Join us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye.